Welcome to Cities Speak. I'm Clarence Anthony, your host and CEO and Executive Director of the National League of Cities. Today, we have a wonderful new guest who have not actually met before, but who I'm excited to talk to about her time in public office and her vision for the future of the city in which she leads. Everyone, today we are joined by Mayor Tao of Oakland, California, for the latest episode of our NLC podcast. So let me tell you why I'm so excited today. Mayor Tao is the 51st mayor of Oakland, California, and is new on the job, taking office this past January. Uh, she's the first Hmong American mayor of a major city in the United States. Before being inaugurated as mayor, Mayor Tao served on Oakland's city council for five years, where she had a lot of priorities. Welcome, Mayor Tao, and thank you so much for participating on Cities Speak. Absolutely. Thank you for having me, Clarence. So let me just first ask you a question. Now, you've been on the city council, chief of staff, and now mayor. Is there a difference between being on the city council and being mayor? Well, let me give you an example of, yes, there is a difference. So on the city council, because the uh, the city of Oakland here in California, we uh, we have a hybrid strong mayor. I say hybrid because the mayor doesn't actually have veto powers here. However, uh, she is the CEO of the city. And so as the council member, we are just the legislative branch. And so we can only ask questions. So going from asking questions for so many years and not being able to direct and then moving into the mayor's office where I'm now meeting with city staff and I'm saying, what do you think about if we did X, Y, Z, right? And they would look at me, pause and say, well, mayor, if that's what you want, then that's what we'll do. And I was like, is that right? (laughs) So there is, uh, you know, uh, all kidding aside, there is a difference. It is the executive branch and you do oversee all the departments, including the police department as well, too. And so um, I'm very excited to take on this job. Well, you know, as a former mayor myself, the interesting thing is uh, when things are good, they celebrate how great the job the mayor is doing. But if there is a challenge, they also look specifically at the mayor. And uh, it takes a couple of days to get to the city council to get the praise and the blame. So I think you got the right perspective and um, the right training to really lead Oakland uh, to the next level. Let me first ask, how, you know, what was your journey? Um, You've talked publicly about your background growing up in a big family uh, among refugees. What got you into public service and ter- part of that journey? Yeah, so so yes, my parents are Hmong refugees. Um, they escaped genocide from the uh, secret war. The secret war was taking place at the same time as the Vietnam War, hence it was a secret no longer. And so it's Hmong people lived in the jungles uh, and the mountains of places like Laos, mainly in Laos, but in Vietnam and China as well. Um, We have our own culture, our own different language, but not our own country. And so um, this nomad group uh, were recruited by American CIAs. And so as all this was happening, um, Hmong people who we supported the American troops were seen as traitors. And so um, 
Uh, my parents escaped genocide, went into the Thailand refugee camp, and um, came to United States in 1979. And so I don't have a typical story for an elected official in America. Um, it's atypical because, you know, growing up impoverished, living in public housing, you know, uh, after leaving my uh, my parents' home at the age of 17, you know, I got into this really bad domestic violence relationship. It's my very first relationship. And for four years, I suffered uh, abuse, physical and mental abuse, emotional abuse as well, too. And it wasn't until I was pregnant with my son, uh, six months pregnant, and I hope that this is not a triggering part for folks, but and you can take it out if it's too triggering. But you know, um, his father grabbed me by the hair. I was on my on top. I was sitting on my bed. He grabbed me by the hair, pulled me down, and um, from the bed and started kicking me uh, in my six month pregnant stomach. And in that moment, you know, I have always been very fierce, very feisty. Um, you know, it, I grew up in a very patriarchal household where boys didn't have to do any chores or anything. And the the, uh, girls were being taught how to be good wives through cooking and cleaning. And I refused to do any cooking or cleaning. Suffice to say, I don't know how to cook today, (laughs) but, (laughs) but, but you, I had that personality yet I was in this situation. And so I left and became homeless because by that time, all of my family and my friends and my, uh, any sort of system, you know, um, uh, relationships that I had with anybody, they were all stricken away. And so I was unhoused for a long time. And then I gave birth, county hospital. I was alone and it was the nurses, uh, nurses before even COVID. I love nurses because uh, they taught me how to bathe my son and how to feed my son. And um, it was pretty rough, you know, it was pretty rough, but that's how I lead. I lead through the lens of live life experience. Uh, your story is very impactful. I mean, uh, there's so many stories like that. And I hope that women who are experiencing um, the same type of um, relationship could hear the story that you can overcome and, um, you know, come out strong, uh, stronger um, from, from those experiences. And so thank you for sharing that. I know that's not easy to relive uh, that story um, and that experience every time. It, it was hard in the beginning, but what I have come to learn is that not only is it healing for me uh, to speak about it, but when I, you know, I, I was 20 years old, right? When I became homeless and uh, I just assumed that I was in a unique position, that this was a choice that I had made, a bad decision that I had personally made, and that no one in, you know, that, that this was not happening in multiple families or households, which is far from the truth. And so with that being said, it's important for me to make sure that we get the word out that this is not a unique situation. This happens across racial lines. This happens across social economic statuses and that there are resources. And so I'm a huge advocate of making sure that we bring resources to the community so that anybody, any young person who's feeling like they're alone and that they're in a unique position, that it's not unique at all. And more so than that is that, you know, being a single mom, I was on welfare. I used uh, government services like Head Start, uh, uh, welfare to work programs. And all of these programs, you know, were the stepping stones on my success. And, you know, because I eventually went to community college, graduated as a single mom working full time at the, at the um, community college, graduated valedictorian and transferred over to UC Berkeley. And so for me, I'm always 
uplifting, you know, um, making sure that people know that for all of, you know, whatever negative stigma that you may feel or society may make you feel using utilizing public resources, it's like the public resources are there for a reason. And, and, and I'm a prime example for that, right? We Sometimes people just need a break and they need support because we're not all set on an equal level playing field. No, and I, and I agree with that. I think the experiences of uh, residents um, and feeling where they are and you trying to develop programs and initiatives because of your lived experience is going to be very helpful, and I'm sure it has been helpful your five years on, on city council. Now, let me ask you, uh, with that experience and, and life experience, what has that caused you to focus on as mayor? What, what are your priorities? So as mayor here in the city, we have here in the, in the city of Oakland, California, we have over 5,000 people who are unhoused. And this is not a unique issue to Oakland. This is a crisis that we're seeing across the nation. We are seeing an affordable housing crisis. We're seeing an unhoused crisis. And being that I come from that live life experience, I do lead differently. I am a very progressive leader. Um, you know, I I run the city and I am the progressive candidate who won the seat. But at the same time, I understand that, uh, you know, make, you know, having tents in our parks are taking away from our most marginalized communities. And that is why we need to put our unhoused into dignified temporary housing. And we have to, we must, it is our charge to set up the temporary housing so that we can get our unhoused brothers and sisters who are living in our parks out of our parks. Because I tell you this, Clarence, as a single mom and living in apartments, the majority of my life, it was the parks. Parks are my front yard and my backyard. That's how I got my exercise. That's where my son received his exercise. And as a single mom, if I saw an encampment in the parks, I can tell you that I wouldn't actually go to the park or take my son there. And that is taking from families because, again, it's my front yard, my backyard. I'm not willing to risk whether or not someone's having a bad day and um, because it can be it can feel really unsafe. And so with those lens is like but at the same time, I've been unhoused before myself and I know that. During my time of being a house, I just needed a break. You know, I, I again, I couldn't afford to pay for first month, last month in deposit. It's so expensive. You can't even buy a sandwich for $10 anymore. And so with that kind of understanding, it's like we also need the dignified housing. And that's where government comes into play and really trying to figure out, you know, uh, here in the city of Oakland to do that part, to find solutions. And, and the solution is that we have to triage the situation. We have to build more affordable, deeply affordable housing, which we have a, you know, and it's also about the uh, scarcity of resources, which is money. But at the same time, you know, not just building that, but ensuring that families, families who are housing insecure, who um, maybe, you know, because they are getting, you know, they're just one paycheck away from uh, being unhoused, right? Whether you're not going to work because you have COVID or you have to take care of your parents, a lot of people don't have the privilege of sick days. You know, you don't show up, you're going to lose your job. 
but then they have to take care of their families. And so making sure that we capture and create a safety net for those families to ensure that they don't become unhoused is what's going to, one, save us money, but it's the right thing to do. And so these are some of the things that I'm hyper-focused on here in the city of Oakland. Now, uh, you've been vocal about the housing first approach. Um, With the housing first approach, the model that you would use in order to effectively uh, deal with uh, the unhoused? Absolutely. I don't believe that, you know, imagine if I lived in an encampment. First of all, women and children are not safe there. That's just the reality of it. It's not if, but it is when. When will they be harmed? And so um, the housing first comes because if you are surviving, which I was surviving for many years, if you are surviving, you can't actually hold on to a job. You can't actually think about, you know, what are my next steps to be successful? You're just literally looking for where's the next place I can, you know, lay my head so I can be safe, so I can get a few hours in. So the stability part is important and stability equates to housing. However, it's just not only housing, right? We need the uh, wraparound services, mental health services, something that, you know, our country has divested from. And there are different levels of mental health treatment that is required. There's a large spectrum. You know, is it mental health where, you know, you can go in and see some counseling and then you can be on your way and you just see counseling once a week? Or is it a cocktail of medication because, you know, you have schizophrenia or bipolar disorder or or what have you, right? But on that end, how can we triage the situation if everyone is spread out across your city in encampments where we know that encampments is a transient situation. You know, you can have one person living in one encampment for one night, and then maybe they have to move for whatever reason. They feel that their life is being threatened, so they have to go somewhere else. How do you re-engage with that same person? And so it's important for me that we stand up these temporary shelters and get everybody into shelters so we can triage the situation. Uh, Mayor, I want to pivot a little bit and and ask you, because of your uh, commitment to the issue of public safety. We recognize in America right now that uh, violence is um, and and crime is increasing. And we're trying to figure out what system that most city leaders are trying to figure out what system needs to be in place to kind of uh, address this issue. Uh, what's your thoughts? Um, because I know you've worked on that issue as a, a council member and now as a priority as mayor. Any thoughts? There. Oh, I have so many thoughts, Clarence. <laughs> so <laughs> Thank many you. Thoughts. Come on, give uh, us some. Yes, I'll give you some. Public safety uh, in, in this office, under my administration, we're calling it community safety because that's where we need to start. And I believe that it's a, a uh, comprehensive approach. And I know you hear, we hear that a lot, comprehensive approach. But what does that mean? It means different things to different people. So, for example, my home was burglarized and my son was home. He did not have school that day but I was at work here in city hall. My home was burglarized. They saw, they got broke into my home, saw my son and continued to burglarize my home. My son is traumatized. They didn't hurt him. They didn't say a word to him, but he's traumatized. That trauma comes at a price, right? To this day, he's about what, 16 years old and turning 17. He will not stay home by himself. And so um, I believe in a response, right? And that's our police officers. Our police officers are uh, our, our response team to crimes. They do investigative work in regards to our, um, you know, murders and, and other things. And so 
But on the other side of it, if we're really going to have a real conversation about community safety and public safety, we have to truly talk about how much and where we are investing when it comes to our young people. And when it comes to our young people who are underheard and underserved, right? Those families. Or do we have programming after schools to keep them busy, right? Um, here in the city of Oakland, we see that we have a summer youth uh, jobs program, a paid jobs uh, summer program. And it went within the last decade, it went from 2,000 of those jobs in the summer only to 200. And that is not okay. So what are all our young people doing? Right. Um, we don't see that our rec centers are robust with programming either. So where are our kids? And so with that being said, that this approach under this administration is truly to really get money into our community's pockets. And, and while at the same time, really giving them some sort of training and glimpse of different areas of possible professions. We only know what we know. And I tell you, I didn't know much about local government until I was at UC Berkeley. And that's a shame. That's a shame. But again, you only know what you know. And so what I know is that if you are, you know, you can't choose what family you were born into. But if you grow up in a neighborhood where you lack mentorship and where all you see is that you have uh, liquor stores that sell chips and sodas, you're going to eat the chips and sodas. And that's what you're going to learn how to eat. And so that take that example and put it across all factors. And so for me, it's really getting our young people to, one, be busy, two, put money in their pockets, and three, open them up to opportunities and give them hope. Hope is the most priceless thing that we can deliver for our young communities. And I know that firsthand. I was in a very dark place, you know, coming out of that relationship. And, um, you know, it was the semblance of hope that saved my life and saved my son's life. Thank you so much for that. That's a real response, uh, a response that uh, municipal leaders all over America could relate to and can relate to because um, they are, in fact, themselves experiencing a lot of attacks um, to their home, to their family, and uh, uh, at City Hall as well. And we're seeing this trend where municipal leaders are saying, I didn't sign up for this. I didn't know it was going to be that way. And they are deciding uh, to to leave public service. But we need uh, municipal leaders like you who really do understand uh, the issues and the person that they're serving. So I thank you for sharing that. Now, you've uh, been a part of um, helping us to get the American Rescue Plan Act um, passed, and it has made an impact. I know that Oakland uh, will receive $15 million, or you've allocated $15 million over the next three years to go toward housing itself and support services. How will those dollars specifically be used? What's your plan on how it's focused on housing as well as homelessness? Absolutely. You know, um, we talk all the time about how do we actually prevent families from being housed first. And so a lot of those monies have been used for um, renter protections, you know, and that means emergency rental services, legal services as well, too, for renters and property owners as well. You know, it, it's one of those things where it's like this is just a, you know, the, the funds, the ARPA funds have been have just been life-saving for, for many cities across the nation. And we have to make it a case that we need these as ongoing funds because we're seeing this shift in society of 
inability in uh, to you know, get into the intergenerational wealth, right? I'm a renter myself. I'm the first um, a mayor who's a renter as well. <laughs> and um, when we talk about intergenerational wealth, it's really creating, taking down some of those barriers, right? And that includes uh, making sure that uh, we have ability, the city have ability to really support families when it comes to making sure they are uh, protected from being homeless or not just that, but investments into first-time home buyership. Also with the city as well, too, is direct services. Direct services standing up different sites for um, uh, for unhoused community. And so a lot of that uh, ARPA funds as well is being utilized um, to do co-governance, sheltering here in the city of Oakland and, um, you know, in partnership with other organizations in the county as well, too. But it has gone such a long way and we have to continue to fight for those funds. Now, do the residents um, recognize and acknowledge that you are a mayor, in fact, that are having some of the same challenges and experiences uh, that they are having? Was that a part of, of your platform? Uh, and resonating with the the residents? Absolutely. Um, You know, that was a lot of my supporters, right? I mean, you go from being a council member who no one really knows you except for the people that live in your district. And even then, the people in your district don't really know who you are. Uh, (laughs) They really know their mayor, right? And so, um, you know, so a lot of people had to learn who I am. And, um, you know, under this big umbrella of being an API woman, you, you just assume, you know, there's some assumptions around APIs, uh, you know, that, oh, you, you know, that somehow we're the model minority and that we've made it. But if you look into my background, if you learn more about who I am, I'm Southeast Asian, meaning that we just arrived in, in the totem pole of all the different Asians. Um, you know, uh, Hmong people have the highest rates of, um, of, of young people who can attend college, but yet has the lowest rates of students attending college, right? We are, um, us, the Hmong people, along with uh, Cambodians, um, are ranked at the highest level of poverty uh, in the United States. And so with that being said, um, understanding that I am a renter here in the city of Oakland and that I still have the same struggles of um, housing security um, with my background of being a single mom, you know, it, all the good, all the positive that I think is positive, which is all who I am. I, I feel like it's a positive and I speak it freely. You know, some people say, well, you're a single mom. How can you be a mayor and then be a mom? Um, it's pretty sexist, but you know, you take those hits. I don't believe it's, you know, uh, I don't believe it hinders me. It just shows that I can multitask and be successful. But, you know, speaking about my DV past as well, too, I think people are drawn to my um, my bold honesty, to be quite honest with you. <laughs> I don't know how to be any other way. If I say, you know, that I'm going to do something like that's what I'm going to do. And and I just hope that, um, you know, for those who didn't vote for me, that um, it is my job to show them that um, I can lead with their voices in mind as well, too. And I do believe that one skill set that I have uh, that many or um, the other candidates didn't have is my ability to bridge those uh, relationships where I've you know, it's a unique situation where I've brought big businesses and labor unions and small businesses together to agree on taxing big businesses. Big businesses said, sure, you can tax us. And uh, that was a hard conversation I had to have with them and bring them to the table. But we did it and we they agreed. And so it's and, and I take that ability of and that skill set from growing up in a large family. Right. I grew up I grew up in a family with 10 uh, where my parents had 10 kids. 
And then not just that, but um, just to be wow. honest, growing up in the hood, growing up in the yeah. hood <laughs> and learning yeah. to switch and do all that, uh, you know, and so, but um, I'm very blessed to be here today. You just got inaugurated in January and let's go to 2027 and let's start with the end in mind and dream. What, what are you, what would you want to have accomplished by 2027? So we have a huge budget deficit. Uh, I'm walking into a $380 million deficit over two years. And so it would be my dream that um, we have not cut anybody's job, that we um, are implementing programming. We'll obviously have a balanced budget and implementing programming uh, for our young people year round and just not during the summer, but have a robust summer, uh, not summer internship, but in, uh, year round internship that includes uh, public private partnership where our biggest businesses will take on interns to do real work and not just uh, data entry or picking up trash, you know, but on their dime. So they have a stake at the at the table because that is an investment into public safety. Uh, it would be um, breaking ground on my legacy project, which is the Transitional Age Youth Hub, uh, a hub where many students like myself who, you know, you graduate high school or maybe you don't graduate high school and, um, you know, but you need a longer path, right? A longer uh, roadway so that you can figure out what you want to do in life. And uh, the the Tay Hub essentially is a campus. It's like a pre-college campus where it's wraparound services, including counseling and housing on site. And, um, you know, we're very close to breaking ground, but by that time I would like to have already broken ground on that project here in the city of Oakland to be a model for the nation, for the nation where we are bringing in vocational training. We are, that's where we would recruit our firefighters and our police officers because uh, we want them to be localized and, and a feeling of uh, safety, a feeling of safety because we know that our streets are clean and that our parts are clean and that we have access to our public infrastructure. Um, I think that would be, if that all were to happen, I think that would be a huge success and they're all doable in my opinion. Well, Mayor, let me just say that you have really um, uh, blessed our listeners and subscribers uh, by describing uh, what it means to uh, overcome and what it means to be a public servant, a real, genuine public servant. And I can tell you in this time uh, in America, that's what local leaders do. We step up and we serve and we address issues uh, that are local to our own community. And I'd like to thank you for sharing um, so genuinely uh, your story, your vision, and what you expect to achieve uh, for those that are living in your community, expect, especially uh, those that are unhoused. So, um, again, thank you on behalf of the National League of Cities, and we really do appreciate your service. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to City Speak with Clarence Anthony. If you like the show, let us know. Share this episode with your friends and make sure to subscribe. We're curious to hear what you think, what you want more of, and how we can improve. If you have feedback or an idea for a guest you'd like Clarence to sit down with, send us your thoughts at citiespeakpodcast at nlc.org. Join us next month for a new episode. Like and subscribe here or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.